This is a case from the Mu'an Khan. <coughs> not mine, not Buddha. The case. The monk asked Nansen in all earnestness, is there any dogma that has not been preached to the people? Nansen said, yes, there is. The monk said, what is the dogma that has not been preached to the people? Nansen said, it is neither mind, nor Buddha, nor a being. Muman's commentary. Nansen was merely asked a question, and he exhausted all his possessions at once and was reduced to nothing. The verse. Too much talk degrades virtue. Silence is certainly effective. Even if the great ocean should change, it can never be communicated. So, as you may remember, we ended the first session with the paragraph that deals with two ways of practice. One that maintains delusion, or one that reflects illusion, and the other that reflects and supports 
wisdom and realization. And Dogen said, conveying oneself toward all things to carry out practice enlightenment is delusion. All things coming and carrying out practice enlightenment through the self is realization. So what does it mean conveying oneself toward all things in order to carry practice? And why is that delusion? In the book, Okamura writes that the desire to become enlightened and free ourselves from suffering is only creating more suffering. Only creates only gets us further entangled, which is very true. Not true when we are about to uh, engage in something because we believe that, we really believe that that will be the solution or that will lead to the solution later. Right? So we have that mindset. <clears throat> but does that mean that one thing by itself is wrong? Should we eliminate wanting altogether? Should we not want to awaken? I mean, isn't that what brought us to the Dharma in the first place? Isn't that what ignites practice? How do we understand Bodhicitta? If there is a sense, there is a feeling within us, right? something that is moving us. And we want, right? still, the word want is there. We want to explore it. We want to understand. What is it? Where does it come from? What is it leading me to? Right? We want to clarify. And even practice, right? Practice itself, as we know it, comes with many challenges then there is always resistance to the challenges. And if we're not resolute about wanting to be a part of it, we're not going to stick with it. You have to want to go to a sashim in order to be at a sashim. You have to want to come here in order to be here. So what does that mean? Does it mean that there is the good kind of wanting and the bad kind? In other words, is, is the wanting, or the way we judge wanting, is it based on what it is that we want, on the object of our desire? Because if it is based on that, we are venturing into very muddy terrain. Who is judging what is a good wanting and what is a bad wanting? How do we know? very difficult. Right? And the, this practice that we often find difficult and exhausting is, is actually only to purify that which has never been desecrated. Right? To unite that which has never been separated. And to become the Buddha that you already are. Which is very much it's very difficult for us, right? It's very challenging because how do we want to be what we are? What does it mean to want to arrive at 
here at Rodeo Ohio. And it's a question that we, we have to work with. Right? Because that question sheds light on how to maintain lifelong practice and how to work with disappointments. I am not where I want to be. I have not achieved what I set out to achieve or what I thought I would achieve by now. Being three months into practice, three years, 30 years. What do I do with the idea of wanting to verify this on my own? How do I verify? So what kind of wanting is it, is it that is free of wanting? How do we, as one ancient one says, how do we search without searching? And wanting by, by definition obviously implies lack, right? If I want something, it means I don't have it. Whether it's a commodity, comfort, status, education, knowledge. I venture out, I go to get it because I don't have it. Because if I have it, why would I bother? So essentially we only want what we think we do not have or possess. So to want what we already are actually collapses the entire notion of wanting. And when it collapses, when wanting collapses, what's left? What, what, what is left to motivate us to keep going? Our society is based on that. On the economy is actually based on, on that, on enticing us with what we don't have and then painting it in all kinds of colors that will make us feel that when we get it we will have we will feel better we are going to be better off and that's what Kamala was talking about in, in relation to the dawn in relation to moving from suffering point a to realization point b Point A does not have point B. But the practice is saying point A is point B. So, when there is a sense of gain, and we expect the efforts to provide what we are lacking, when they will hold on to a sense of gain, we hold on to a sense of lack, right? And that is conveying oneself towards all things to carry out practice enlightenment. And that's why Dolin says this is delusion. And it's delusion because you're already there, right? Essentially, but we have to watch out because words are too simple. Right? They point at something. They're too simple when we just stay with the world. And it's delusion because the self 
itself is still active as an outside and separate observer acting on upon reality. But in essence, in reality, as reality is, reality already includes the self. So the idea of separateness is by nature, by nature of reality, that is illusory. It's not possible to be outside of the totality of all things. Who is acting upon who? Right, the same, mounting a donkey to go look for a donkey is similar to what Dogen is pointing at. So the self is moving towards all things, looking to gain what it feels it lacks. So when we recognize and trust, we have to recognize and trust that the sense of lack, although we feel it, sense of lack is illusory. But to recognize that it's illusory doesn't erase the feeling of lack. It's not that when we recognize, oh yeah, this is not true. It's necessarily gone instantly. With deep, with deep understanding, with deep realization, it does actually fall away because it is not sitting on anything substantial. But the feeling, the feeling of lack may still appear. Even after realization. You may ask, how is this possible? Because it makes sense, as Bodhidharma said. Because it makes sense. Because it's habitual. Because it's conditional. Because it's karmic. So it makes sense. But the feeling does not create a person or anything. It's just a feeling. To experience, to go through, to recognize, and to expand through, with, rather than to contract. You know, to practice without an expectation to arrive elsewhere, right? Or to practice without wanting to become Someone else, something else, a better version of this one here. That is to realize that reality is actually acting upon us. We think we are. We think we are actually moving towards all things and then having control and creating something, getting rid of something, it's all self-concerned, self-centered. We do feel that we are the center of the universe. Which is not, not true by itself, but not as a, as a separate sense of itself that is looking at reality. We are the center because we are 
the entire universe. Or someone once says, yeah, you're special like everybody else. Like everything else. You are absolutely magnificent, spectacular, like everything else. In the same way that a dry leaf on the ground is absolutely spectacular and amazing. But that doesn't work in terms of wanting to become something. You know, the 10,000 dollars, as in the language that is used in the book, the practice, the 10,000 dollars are actually flowing through our veins. They're blinking the eyes. Laying down, sitting, walking around. They're $10,000. So life is moving through the self rather than the self is moving through life. It's a big burden, actually, to, 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 to see reality, to see life from a small perspective of the self that has to get through this, has to become somebody, has to have others approve of it. It's a huge burden to walk around like that. But to realize that life is moving us, life is moving you, you're not moving it. Such a relief, isn't it? Well, I'm not doing it. I have to worry about it. I have to pay attention. I have to worry about it. I'm already that which I want to become. Right? So this is what Dogen is pointing at with the second sentence. All things coming and carrying out practice alignment through the self is realization. So to verify, to verify that life is acting on you, to verify the greatness of life and to see that that is the greatness of you, and that is what is called in Zen the great merger, to be one with, to not create. The monk in his Quran is asking Yansen, if there is any Dharma that has not been preached to the people, Yansen said, yes, there is. Now, maybe more importantly, the question is, how will you hear the Dharma that has not been preached to the people? Why is it, why is there a Dharma kind of teaching that has not been preached yet? The word, there is a word yet in that sentence. It has not yet been preached to the people. Well, what are we waiting for? Hmm? I'd like to hear it. Because that's probably the Dharma that will make me see, get it, feel complete. That's the missing piece. 
Dharma that has not been preached to the people. I mean, you can imagine what he felt, what he thought. That's great. I asked the right person. Are you going to tell me? I'm going to feel a lot better. Because it's going to erase all my difficulties, challenges, problems, issues with image. You know, when all things are merged, that which is being which is being preached to us and that which is listening, time circled. Um, this monk, I'm sure, was exposed to multiple teachers, <laughs> read many sutras, but was still looking for more input. Still experience some sense of lack. And this is where wanting comes in, right? Deep down we are convinced that satisfaction and completion will come from the outside. We don't trust that we are what it takes. We look for it. The ear and the eye are looking for an external input. Something will come and enlighten me. But what happens when we another teacher, or we expose to another teacher, another sutra, another seminar, another teaching, another book. What happens? Does it really work? And it takes many years of dedicated practice to get to a point of being willing being willing to let go of that expectation. You know, because we, we do, we do begin to see it at some point, but still there is something in us that is that may be saying, yeah, but it's not gonna hurt. Right? To try to get it from the outside, or some of it from the outside. But how else can we understand, how else do we understand the true meaning of inherent Buddhahood? Because we work with that primarily, and at the beginning we work with that. We, we work with something that is inherent. We want that which is inherent. Silly, isn't it? Nansen, also known as Nanquan, some of those, uh, I mean, the names are, can be confusing because there is the Chinese name. Actually, first, there is the original name of the person, of the practitioner, before they became a teacher. And then, in many cases, the name of the teacher is the name of the mountain the monastery was put on. So then there is that. And then, and those are Chinese names. And then, Later on, 
those names were translated into Japanese. So one person with many names. So Nansen, Nanquan, same person. The ninth century Chinese Zen master, the disciple of the great master Matsu, Obasu, and the teacher of Zhaozhi, Joshi. Very deeply realized, very deeply steeped in practice, a link between one great master to another, a link which we are. During one of his talks, Nansen referred to the Dharma that has not been preached to the people and said, All Buddhas of the three times don't know of it, but cats and cows know of it. Cats and cows know of it. Well, we, we have a, we're fortunate to have deer come to the backyard. On on a regular basis to graze on grass, whatever is left. Um, and it's, it's kind of interesting, you know, to, it's nice to have the opportunity to, to look at and to observe a being that is fully merged with reality. A being that does not know that it is fully merged with reality. A being that is moved by the myriad things. A being that is completely trusting and obeying something far greater than four legs, head, body, tail. It's great to start the day that way. Kind of puts things in perspective. You know, they're totally merged with chewing the grass, but the ears are also moving to detect any danger. So if I open the door, the back door, they'll take off right away. And then they'll go 50 feet, 100 feet, and go back to chewing something else. There's a quick, agile response. And, and that response is so in alignment with the sound of the door opening up. It's not, oh my God, I rather got around. No. It's not, what the hell is that sound? The sound is the movement of the legs. There's no gap in their, in their response. And also, there's no story created by that. Because when the deer arrive at the new grassy patch, it is completely in alignment with chewing grass again. It's not, I gotta watch out because no. 
I chew grass, I watch out, and I don't know. All things coming and carrying out the being, this being we call a deer. All things coming out and carrying. And the deer is trusting that process. It doesn't know why, it doesn't have to know why. It doesn't care. It just does. It just is. You know, as humans, we, we may categorize deer as fearful animals. Right? Because they're very skittish to us. But in reality, they are born, live, and die in full harmony with the great unknown. They are actually a living manifestation of the Dharma that has not been preached to the people. And they are preaching. To the people. We're just so stupid. We are more stupid than the deer that we call stupid. There's much more wisdom in the way a deer lives than the way we live. If only we could see that. They are completely in alignment with something that is far greater, and yet we reduce them to an emotion. Oh, they're fearful. Right? Or to our own perception. Too often, I think we imbue animals with human feelings and then we view them through human filters instead of dropping away our perception and then allowing that being to teach us. Because when we do that, we can experience what God is talking about. We can experience being carried by, being carried out by all things. You know, they actualize the fundamental point by running away, by chewing grass, by mating. By dying. Actualize the fundamental point. And yet we need to work so hard to do that. You know, I think this is one of the reasons why we like to observe animals. We went to a zoo a few weeks ago. We ended up in DC to visit my daughter. We went to visit the zoo. And it's fascinating to see how people interact, how they look at animals, beyond the, uh, the amusement, right? It is, maybe people are amused, and also beyond the cuteness factor, superficial cuteness factor. Beyond that, I think we recognize something in animals that we miss. We recognize ourselves in a way that is so deep, we don't even know that that's actually what is drawing us to animals. 
we don't realize how much we can actually learn. Right? Because it's dormant. You know, the affinity with animals. Just looking at them, seeing who's an alligator there, an ancient alligator. They're just sitting, they're not moving. People moving around, looking, making sounds. And the alligator was just deep state of samadhi. Perfect zazen. Not a single thought or worry or anything. Not minding anything. Completely at ease, completely at Slap a label on it, look at the tag, move on. You know, in the Fukanza Zengi, and you've heard it before, Dogen <laughs> says, and we have to go back to this over and over and over again. Basic instructions for us. He said, the way is basically perfect and all pervading. How could it be contingent upon practice and realization? The Dharma vehicle is free and untrammeled. What need there is there for concentrated effort? Indeed, the whole body is far beyond the world's dust. Who could believe in means to brush it clean? The alligator definitely doesn't believe in any means to brush anything clean. It is never apart from one right where one is. What is the use of going off here and there to practice? And then it says, and yet, if there is the slightest discrepancy, the way is a distance, there's heaven from earth. If the least like or dislike arises, the mind is lost in confusion. Now, the Dharma vehicle is free and untrammeled. Untrammeled, what is a tremor, right? You may know, uh, I was first introduced to this when I was uh, working as a cabinet maker in Israel. And it's, it's, a, it's a tool that you attach to a piece of wood and it allows uh, a saw, like a jigsaw or a router, to, to cut a perfect circle. So in a way it's a tether, right? It ties the tool to a center and the tool goes around or you move the piece of wood, you feed it through and you end up with a perfect circle. Right? So it, it, in a way, it inhibits the tool from doing something else. Right? It gives it parameter, gives it some kind of a defined track by which it moves. So the way is untrimmed. The way is perfectly the Dharma vehicle, sorry, the Dharma vehicle is free and untrained. And it means that it is free of all restrictions. It's not restricted to what we think about it or what we think about ourselves. In fact, it's not restricted to anything. It's not defined by a lifespan, it's not defined by a level of education, it's not defined by understanding and not understanding. 
it's not defined by the state of the body you reside temporarily. It is free and untrained. Now, as nonsense said to the monk, it is neither mind nor Buddha nor being. It is not a thing. Things are defined. People may feel defined. We may define or constrict ourselves. We may constrict others in our mind. We create something out of the Dharma. Out of where we are on this path, out of where we want to be on this path. Yet this path has no path. Nansen once said to, to the monks, why is it that phenomenal existence is empty? If there is nothing within mind, then how does one explain how the myriad things arise? Isn't it as if shadowy forms differentiate emptiness? A shadowy forms differentiate emptiness, or nailing, uh, hammering a nail into empty sky, right? This question is like someone grasping sound and placing it in a box, or blowing into a net to fill it up, to fill it with air. This is what we do. It doesn't work. Therefore, some old worthy said, it is, it is not mine, it's not Buddha, it's not a thing. Nansen did not come up with this originally. He actually used that appropriately in responding to this monk. And then he said, it is not a thing. Thus, we just teach you to go on your journey. So there is that, right? We just teach you to go on the journey, to practice, to be on a path, to recognize that there is no path. But the only way to really understand this is to actually verify this on a personal level. And that's why there is a path. So each of us can verify personal level. Well, so each of us actually takes the responsibility to look at what we believe, to maybe mess with that, venture out to the unknown, and be carried out by the myriad things, and trust that we have to worry about. We are being carried by the myriad things. We are already that. It says the slightest discrepancy. And the discrepancy is really about what things are and what we think they are. What I am and what I think I am where I'm at and where I want to be.
what I think I know, what I think I don't know. A million ways in which we create discrepancies. And even creating discrepancies is not outside. All this is happening within the same totality. This is the pure life. It's up to us to make it so because live the way you want to live. Do whatever it is you want to do. Deal with the consequences. So back to Azazen again and again, right? Back to because this is where it happens. This is where there are no discrepancies. This is what we recognize, that essentially there are no discrepancies. Fukan Zazegi said, you should therefore cease from practice based on intellectual understanding. Stop looking for it elsewhere. Stop trying to cognize philosophize, intellectualize, talk about it, stop, he says, pursuing words and following after speech, stop that too, and learn the backward step that turns your light inwardly to illuminate yourself, learn the backward step, that sounds it. Stop looking for it outside. It will not come from there. Well, not in the way we, we think it will. It does come and carry you. But you are it that is carrying you. So you have access to that which is carrying you all the time. If you take the backward step, He says, body and mind of themselves will drop away. And your original self, original face, will be manifest. If you want to attain suchness, you should practice suchness without delay. For Zazen, quiet room is suitable. Eat and drink moderately. Cast aside all involvements, involvements and seize all affairs. Do not think good or bad. Do not administer pros or cons. Right? And how often we sit in Zazen, we judge. We judge everything, including Zazen. This was a bad period of Zazen. How do you know? What does that mean? What makes it good and bad? Right? So we look at the experience. We have, we have the responsibility, of course, to to examine, to work with it, to think non-thinking, as he says, not to just sit there and then, okay, well, that's it, I'm done, I'm just sitting, and I'm going to get up, and the timer says I should get up, and I've done zazen. Well, maybe not. Where's the effort? What are you doing? Are you paying attention? Are you working on understanding what it means to think non-thinking. 
Are you allowing all things that arise in the mind to arise in the mind? Are you allowing them to move forward? A thought, emotion. Are you allowing the emotion to move through? Or are you going to make, weave a story out of this emotion, out of this thought? Being worthy or not worthy. It really doesn't matter. Because it's a story. Because the Dharma vehicle is untrammeled. Because it is wide open. Because there is no question of worthiness. Do not think good or bad. Do not administer pros and cons. Seize all the movement of the conscious mind. Seasonal movement doesn't mean to just bring it to a stop. It means to not engage in maneuvering. You do not engage in maneuvering. Don't add thoughts to thoughts. Don't add emotions to emotions. Seasonal movements of the conscious mind the gauging of all thoughts and views, all thoughts and views, have no design on becoming a Buddha. Have no design on becoming a Buddha. Dogen says, sitting itself is the practice of the Buddha. Sitting itself is non-doing. It is nothing but the true form of the self. Apart from sitting, there is nothing to seek as the Buddha Dharma. That's it. Everything we do comes out of and flows back to Zaza. Everything we talk about, everything we get excited about, it's all there. It's all there, but in a way that is pre-appearance, which gives rise to all appearance. pre-appearance, pre-logic, pre-separate self, sense of existence. It's all there. But we have to verify it on our own. We have to feel it. So, in other words, you know, when we read a book that was written by some Zen master or some ancient, it's not that we have to memorize and then emulate what the words are, are, are talking about. We have to go back to the place from which the words came out. You know, we say to go side by side with the ancients is to actually, eyebrow to eyebrow with the ancients, is to actually experience what they experienced, including the Hauchi, which they all did. understanding that we are this way, so that's why we have to go through what we call practice. But to go back to the origin of the words. Why did he or she wrote this? Why did they say that? That's what we have to know. Where did it come from? 
Same with Aikido. We're not emulating what the teacher does. We have to give birth to the technique at the moment we're doing it. We have to give birth to realization on our own. Not copy. Because when we copy, we get disappointed. It's not quite the same. What is moving you? What is making you think what you think? What is making you breathe, blink the eyes? What is making the alligator just sit there? What do they know that we don't know? They know it's not a Buddha, it's not a thing. It's not the way, it's not wisdom. They know it's not. Because they know it's not, they know it is. Mumon said in the commentary, Nansen was merely asked a question, and he exhausted all his possessions at once and was reduced to nothing. He exhausted all his possessions at once because he was so kind. All he said, it's not what you think it is. That's all he said. It's not what you feel it is. It's not what you read about it. It's not what you hear about it. It's not, it's not, it's not, it's not. And it's not rejection. So go away, sit, shut up, and look. He's so kind. Yeah, but no, shut up. Too many words, the great virtue, right? As it says in the verse. Too much thinking with the great virtue too. Silence is certainly effective, as it says in the verse. It's effective because we, we when we're quiet, when we sit in zazen, we're not engaged in selling and buying. We're not engaged in selling something to ourselves and then buying it, believing it is true. We're not engaged in trying to understand a paragraph or a book or a teisho or whatever. Because it's not going to come from that. It's not going to come from that. So don't expect it to come from that. Even if the great ocean should change, it can never be communicated to you. The only way it will be able to, or it is possible for something to be communicated to you, is if the ear is separated from the sound. If the eye is separated from what the eye is looking at. If there is a self that is conveying itself towards the myriad things 
to look for enlightenment. But when the self is carried by the myriad things, who is waiting for what? Who isn't realized? Or who is realized? Who cares? We do. So stop caring about it so much. You know, we say we should not know, right? Not knowing. I don't know, right? Just that statement, I don't know. I don't know because I is what I is trying to know. I don't know because I am. Because there's no gap. But I want to know. But I am. I want to know is the discrepancy Dogen is talking I don't know is the recognition that I cannot know because the I is to the I that it can never be communicated to. To the self, it can never be communicated. So I don't know. A statement that is in alignment with reality. Why is that a problem for us to say I don't know? Why is it an issue to not know? I don't know. It is not mine. It is not a Buddha. It is not a thing. Then what is it? Ask yourself that question. When it is not when I am not what I think, when I am not what I feel, what, what am I? Look at that in your zazen. What is it? Sit and observe this one here, the one that is sitting. Just observe and you will see what you need to see but not in the way you think you will see. 